0: Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. It's a pleasure to be with you this week. You know, as we've been going through the month of October and November, we've been talking about financial planning and giving people great insights on how to improve your financial position. Proverbs tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And with that thought in mind, I was looking for some insights from a friend of mine who I see him as someone who has great wisdom as it relates to money, the markets, and our guest today is Peter Grandage of Grandage Publications, Trinity Sports Management, and the Athletes and Business Alliance. Peter also is the author of Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid, so it's our pleasure to welcome Peter Grandage to our show today. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Frank. So Peter, you've had many years in the financial industry, Um, you talk on the markets. And really a great macroeconomic perspective for people that, you know, I've I've enjoyed hearing you and seeing you over the years. And, you know, we've shared the same stage and talking about finance. So you came out with
1: a book recently.
0: So tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and, you know, what's really the message that you're trying to get along to people?
1: Sure. I, I never intended to write the book. What happened was uh, a young lady who was working for me for quite a, several years who did my marketing and publicity said to me one day, how come you haven't written a book? And I said, why? She says, it's such a fascinating story. And I said, well, I don't want to profit or anything from it. Well, if you write it, I'll, I'll help you write it and we'll self-publish it. And it was born out of that idea, and it really became a combination of, a, of an autobiography as well as some insights to, you know, 30 years in and around the financial arena, you know, what took place, including much of the things that one wouldn't be proud of, which I wasn't, but I shared with in the book.
0: So, Peter, you know what's interesting is um, in today's day and age, you know, there's a difference. And and for our listeners, part of our message today was to understand the difference on how people obtain financial advice. And years back, and even to this day, there's a lot of people that claim to be financial advisors and, you know, they're brokers or whatever the case might be. And the interesting thing that I've found over the years and that I try to educate people about is that a true investment advisor or financial advisor has a fiduciary responsibility to help people and to put the client's interests first. However, most people that people encounter in the financial service industry are brokers, uh, insurance-based people, things of that nature, which don't necessarily put the interests of the client first. And some of the things that you you mentioned in your book actually – talk about those stories of years ago of, you know, what would actually take place and things of that nature. So
1: maybe just share with people of, you know, what some of that is. Well, uh, you know, I'm guilty of it the first 15 of my 30 years of my career. uh, There were several times when I put myself first before the clients, and it was rapid everywhere I was. Didn't matter what type of firm or what firm it was. Uh, I don't think much has changed, I'm sorry to say, it may be disguised a little bit better than the guy sitting on the phone calling from underneath his uh, desk, some guys that I share with. But in a sense, I don't know if still if fiduciary responsibility has uh, been returned. Let's not forget just a few years ago in the financial crisis, the biggest financial firm in the world was found guilty for telling their clients to buy one thing, and they was actually selling it short to them on the other side. So I don't think much has changed from that, unfortunately. Do you
0: see today, Peter, that just an average investor can be out there, you know, trying to pick and choose their own stocks? I know it was interesting. I met with a, a fairly new client, and prior to my sitting down with them and having a conversation, the perspective of the client was is that they were going to attempt to try to pick and choose their own stocks, and you know, develop their own portfolio. And I'm, I was kind of like listening to them and. Part of my, you know, response to them was is that do you really think that you can gain an edge being on the retail side and not only the retail side, but you being just an average everyday American that you'll have a different insight? Because I always say that um, the value of whatever it is that you're looking at is already built into it. So if I think I already know I know something about something, you know, about an investment or whatever the case might be, that's already built into the price of whatever's out there. So do you see it that an average person or most people that there isn't an advantage
1: out there? What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I'll start by saying you know my so-called claim to fame was uh, being called a Wall Street whiz kid because over the years there were significant market moves that, for whatever reason, God placed in my mind to see that they were coming. But I'll say this. Those of us who look into a crystal ball for a living over time, the only thing we become experts on is eating broken glass. Uh, well said. I, I, I don't I don't think anybody can beat the market. In fact, I think the market is so up against the retail person that they really have no shot right now, and let me explain why. Just before we sat down to record this, there's a news story out, and it showed, uh, and I won't name the firm, but it's public knowledge. It showed their trading for all of 2013. They didn't lose one day. Now, I'm going to tell you this. You, I, who's ever listening to this, We're never going to fit that criteria. So we're up against people that are having abilities, as I like to say, that have nuclear bombs, and we have little widgets. And people think they're going to sit in front of a computer because some advertisement shows how wonderful it looks, and you can only trade for $9. At the end, you have no chance. the biggest change I've seen in 30 years is that if there was a chance when the retail investor had a small chance back in the 80s when I started, it's gone for them. Anybody tells me they're going to trade or, or try to trade the market, they're destined to lose as far as I'm concerned.
0: You know, as, as you're saying that, um, I was reading information recently and it was talking about even as it relates to mutual funds and you know active money managers, that from a performance standpoint that they often have a difficult time. Um,
1: meeting or beating their benchmark, and usually the index ended up actually a little bit better off. Yeah, that's very important. Three out of four money managers can't even beat the index they're tied to. Imagine, if you will, if you and I were facing a medical issue and there were four doctors that could operate on us, and three always tend to fail in that operation, or we're facing a big case, and three of the four attorneys we could use fail, never win those cases. We'd be awfully nervous, yet people go in almost blindly to these so-called financial advisors, and most of them can't even beat the simple indexes that they're compared to. You
0: know, Peter, it's interesting when you just said that, which is, you know, one of the things that I try to educate people about is that on the retail side, when the public or when our listeners are typically visiting with someone, although they're dealing with a financial advisor, that advisor is typically not the money manager. Uh, They're not the portfolio manager. They're not the money manager. Nine times out of 10, they're really what I refer to as an asset gatherer, that they're gathering assets and they're placing it with somebody else who's actually going to manage it. And when if that person happens to take that position and thinking they're the money manager, to me, I, I look at it and like, I have no idea what they're thinking other than perhaps ego or greed has gotten in the way that they think that they can actually outperform someone who does nothing but manage a portfolio all day long. Are you seeing that different, Pete, or see it the same way?
1: Well, it has changed. When I entered the business back in the early 80s, uh, we would call brokers then, and, and the broker was primarily the person that either made the decision or used an analyst's recommendation and called their clients. Now, for the most part, Most financial people are asset gatherers, as you say, and it's being turned over to somebody and some type of fee is being paid. So the assumption the public makes is, well, you know, they must be really professional. That's a whole lot better off. But again, when you go back to what we just discussed, that over 75 percent of them fail to even perform to the standards of what the indexes do, where if the people simply put it in a no-load index fund, they would have been better off. What does that say where we've gone in 30 years? Not only do I think we've not gone anywhere, I think we've gone backwards because the added thing now to the markets that didn't exist, Frank, when I started is people that are in the markets for no reasons that you used to be. The market was supposed to be a place where you buy part ownership of businesses, and then depending if they did well, people would want to pay more for your shares. There are people all over the markets these days that are using com- computers and algorithms. It's a commodity. They, they care nothing. They don't even know the name of the, the president or anybody at the stock they might have bought or short. They're just treating it as a casino. And you think you're going to go in there as an individual and even sit at your home computer and beat them, well, you know, I just really don't think you really have any chance. It's great perspective, Pete. So- Here's a couple of things, it. I've heard
0: you over the years talking about, you know, the markets, you know, are what they are, you know, utilizing index-type portfolios. And, you know, there's, you know, a Nobel Prize that was given to Markowitz as it related to the theory of asset allocation, which is, you know, diversification, how to diversify money, 94% of investment return comes from the asset allocation, 4% comes from selection, 2% comes from timing. So if I put all that aside, one of the things that I've heard you saying over the years, and it appears to be a a big concern when I hear you speak publicly, is the state of other issues that will long-term influence investment returns and what's going on as it relates to taxes and everything else, which are some, you know, big issues that we're facing. So maybe you can just give us a little bit of a macroeconomic perspective as to, you know, we're dealing right now with, you know, we just had this whole debt debate going back and forth. We're hearing about Obamacare, okay, and a lot of people are really struggling with this. Um, You know, we heard that, you know, people can keep their health insurance. Now they're finding out that, you know, can't quite keep the health insurance you had, you're going to have to change that. And there's a lot that's going on. How do you see all of those financial pressures and changes which are in process, how do you see that affecting the average everyday American, the average
1: investor, and so forth, going forward? Sure. Um, The simplest way I like to put it to people is that Americans have been robbing Peter to pay Paul, and Peter's tapped out. Uh, The debt levels in America, not counting from a consumer standpoint, just government debt, not consumer debt, uh, have gotten to the point where we don't produce enough cash flow to eventually pay off that principal debt. So already, somehow, either that debt's going to have to be renegotiated, monetized, or defaulted on in some degree. If we keep rising, particularly since this administration has taken over the percentage increases of how much debt we're occurring, uh, we will soon get to the point where we won't even be able to serve the interest, particularly if interest rates rise again, which inevitably they will. Uh, they've been artificially kept down, and they may stay down somewhat longer, but they will. will. So sooner or later, we have to pay a price, and America is not prepared to pay that price, Frank. And that's where the real difficulty lies. I don't know the date or the time, but I feel that even though I'm 57 years old, I'll live long enough to see that date, and I don't think most Americans are prepared for that. Very good. So, Pete, what is it
0: that, you know, if you were sitting there and you know, doing your typical type presentations publicly and so forth, what are some of the highlights that you're suggesting to people that they should be doing nowadays?
1: Well, uh, I, don't, I don't want to sound like I came here to toot your horn, but, uh, you know, my whole story, if they read the book, was that for the first half of my life where I thought I knew everything and I was a legend in my own mind while I was turning the Ten Commandments into the Ten Suggestions, uh, I met you, and uh, that helped change my life, that, Bottom line is what, what's commonly known as traditional financial planning just doesn't work. And uh, unless people grasp at that and understand that and focus on more important issues, including quality of life, which, you know, you've taught me about and cash flow and all, they're destined to not to do well. So I think that's the first thing to understand. And what I do see when people object to it because they say, well, I've never heard that before or all the other people tell me not to do it, my response always is, well, how are all those other people doing? You know, then shouldn't they all be wealthy? There's 300,000 licensed securities people in the U.S. Sure, some work in the back office, but at least half of them are salesmen. So there's 150,000 so-called financial advisors out there. There should be at least 150,000 multimillionaires if they were as good as they said they are, but they're not. So I think the biggest thing that I learned after 30 years, Frank, is that the things that you see in the financial world and all the things about trading the market and doing this and doing that, they don't work. And it goes back to what you've always taught, and since the day I met you, that it really goes down to four basics. And if you can learn those basics, then you have a half a chance of success. Very good. You know, and as you know, we're talking about some of those basics. You know, one of the
0: big things that we we talk about, and we you know, the show is called Responsible Wealth, which is really you know, we talk about that budgeting. You know, which is really you know, paying attention to you know how you spend money, how money you know what purposes money have in your life. And then the other thing that you know, we spend a lot of time with regard to is the focus on cash flow. And when I talk about cash flow, you know, we've over the last couple of shows, and one of the things, Pete, I don't know if you caught you know, what, our, what our conversation has been is you know, we've been asking a question, why do you work? And the bottom line is you know, we work to you know, pay our bills. We work to save for retirement. We work to take care of our family. We work to go on vacation. We work for all those different things. But the reason why we really work is we work for cash flow. And what the conversation has been that we've been really trying to you know, communicate to our listeners is is that at some point, that cash flow will stop, either because of you wanting it to stop through retirement or because you didn't have a choice in it stopping, which was you got sick, you got hurt, you got sued, or something happened, or you lost your job. And if and when that occurs, that that cash flow does stop, what have you done, how have you prepared yourself to carry yourself going forward because it goes from, you know, we call it people at work, which is here I am myself out there working and creating cash flow. So eventually my money and what I accumulate over my lifetime ultimately has to, you know, be able to accumulate cash flow. And that's really one of the big issues that we always talk about. So, and just as, you know, when you mention that of some of the things that we talk about, those are some of our core belief systems that we have. So Pete, one of the things that I wanted to ask you today is, if you were doing things, if you had a chance to do it over, and why I say do it over is is look at the financial life, look at some of the things that you know, you've seen, you see people do,
1: what are just a couple
0: of the highlights that you might
1: have done a little bit differently or that you would have told people to do a little bit differently? Well, since I made and lost millions three different occasions, I think I would focus more on as what you just said and be content with what I have versus trying to turn it into so much more because the chances are it won't work. That's one thing I learned in 30 years. And then I think there's probably two things I could leave you with that I, as goals, is I would tell people to plant in their minds. The first is uh, the ultimate crime in investing is never being wrong. I've been wrong multiple times. It's staying wrong. Hmm. And then the last thing is hope is a wonderful personal journey thing to have. It's a horrible investment strategy. When you're at the point that you're just hoping something changes so things can get better, it doesn't work out. It's nice to have that personally. You have to really make change. And sometimes that means, in this case, doing things that the crowd is telling you not to do. And what you've always advocated, and thank God I followed it for my last dozen or so years, uh, you need to do. It's the only real chance. And I'm not saying it because I'm sitting across here, so whoever's listening to this, I'm saying it because it's the fact of life that I learned after 30 years. Very good.
0: For all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. Our guest today, again, is Peter Grandich. Peter has a new book out, uh, Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid. Pete, if someone would like to get a copy of your
1: book, by the way, how would they do that? Sure. It's available at the website, confessionsofawallstreetwigskid.com, or it's at amazon.com. Very good. Thank you, Pete. Pete, thank you so much for being
0: with us this week. For all of our listeners, we thank you for being with us. This is Frank Congelos. If you have questions, you can write to us at the Institute of Responsible Wealth. 2431 Atlantic Avenue, Manasquan, New Jersey, 08736, or email us at info at iofrw.com. Thank you, and have a blessed week.